Welcome to Creation Station Monthly. I'm Bob from Creation Station. This is our monthly show, different format than what we do every week, where we're going to talk about one topic with some creative people. We're going to find out what makes their mind tick, how they got into this field, what makes them think about creating in this kind of field. As always, creationstation at Broward.org comes right to us if you have any ideas for a topic. This month's topic is robotics. And we have someone from right here in South Florida. Giovanni, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. So Giovanni, you are in, you know what, I'm going to let you do the introduction. You tell me and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. How did you get involved with this right now, what you're doing with robotics? So presently I am a self-employed robot programmer. I, I work primarily on FANUC industrial style robots. Um, okay, so tell us what a FANUC is. So FANUC is a Japanese robot manufacturer. They're one of the largest robot manufacturers in the world. Uh, they are one of the most popular industrial robot suppliers and they provide a complete ecosystem for automation solutions from training to software to the physical robots. I, I program FANUC robots primarily and I'm a contract programmer. So oftentimes with industrial robots, they, they are assembled in what's called cells. So okay. a cell is the, the robot and all of the systems around the robot that the robot needs to perform a certain task. Um, and how, what kind of, for these robots, I, I'm kind of jumping ahead because I'm like, this is my field. I want it. I want to know about this stuff. Um, when you're talking about certain tasks, how generic or specific are some of these kinds of robots that you're working on right now? Sure. I'll, I'll give you a, a couple uh, general and specific examples. So, here in Florida, I work a lot with pick and place, machine tending, sorting, and excuse me, depalletizing. Generically, um, it can be almost anything, but some specific examples of what I've worked on in the past are sorting applications for small parts, roughly an inch to inch and a half in, in uh, length. Okay. Speed sorting so you're talking like reaching into a bin and taking out some of those small. Correct. Okay. As, as well as uh, machine tending, which is pulling parts out of a machine and placing them uh, on racks for operators to, to remove the parts. Okay. So now I think most people have an idea of how robots we're, we're not, we're not at Rosie from the Jetsons yet with robots around the house. Although, I mean, like, at my house, you know, my, Bob, you're not home today. I, you know, the room was going to clean the kitchen for you. I'm like, great. Nice. Thanks very much. Um, your kind of stuff is industrial things. Where did you get your schooling for that? Is it separate schooling for doing something along those lines versus like I said, like something, a much more specific task, like a Roomba or is a Roomba even that more of a specific task? I guess maybe I'm jumping the gun on that. Um, so my, my schooling it actually comes from FANUC. They have a training program. And the way I got into that is I was working at a company in Naples, Florida that 
had purchased a FANUC robot and they needed someone that could program it. I had no prior knowledge of programming these industrial robots, but I was very interested in robots. So they were willing to pay for my, for my schooling as long as I would mm -hmm. program the robot. So that's how I got into it. I ended up taking the, the FANUC training course and learning the basics. Uh, I developed a good relationship with, with one of the FANUC representatives here in Florida. And he was able to help me fill in some of the gaps in my knowledge. From there, I was reading the manuals. I was following up with their tech support. I stayed in close contact and it was, it was very much a self-taught uh, learning process as far as how to program uh, the specific robot. And in the future, I looked at taking more of their classes to, to okay. further my knowledge. How, how long did it take you to go from like start to finish, do you think? With the, with the with that portion of the training classes, it's a it's a two week process. Oh, that's really fast then. So so tell us, okay, give us a more background then, because there's a lot of people who can't you just walk out of high school. Oh, two weeks and now I'm programming industrial robots. There's got to be a little bit more to that. Tell fill us in on that background there. Yes, you're exactly right. It's it's <laughs> it's been a lot of culmination leading up to that point. So. I'll start where it started for me, which was in, well, was really just in grade school with my father. My father's an, a mechanical engineer, and I was always doing projects with my father, always doing woodworking projects. We'd go to Home Depot and do the, the woodworking projects they'd have there for yeah. little kids. And, and that really got me interested in machines, machines and how they work and building stuff. So fast forward to high school, I went to St. Thomas Aquinas high school in Fort Lauderdale and my friends and I started a robotics team there because there was a couple of us that were interested in it. What kind um, of, which, which robotics were we, next or VEX? We participated in first tech challenge, okay. um, which, which is, it's similar to the VEX robotics challenges. Um, we started a team to participate in that, and we were mostly self-taught. We kind of stumbled our way through it, but it was a lot of fun, and we really learned a lot along the way. We're very passionate about it. Um, and then in college, I had an opportunity to become a teaching assistant for one of the uh, robot-centric classes at the University of Florida. Uh, the class is called Design and Manufacturing Lab. It's a standard class for mechanical engineers. Okay. One of the focus for the classes is building robots from, from scratch, essentially, to perform a certain task, very similar to First Tech Challenge, but with a more structured engineering approach. Okay. So I really... Now, what kind of stuff, now, when you say building, like... For for anyone who's out there who doesn't understand, Vex Robotics is one of the is a basic uh, robotics kit you can just purchase right off the shelf or come to the library and check it out. We've got them here at Creation Station. You can check out a Vex Robotics kit or come into the library and mess around with them. And so when you're saying build them, are you saying build it from a kit like that and using those parts or are you saying build it from scratch? So in high school, that we, we, we would build them from the kits. Um, it was very much an old school type of building. We didn't use CAD, we didn't really plan. We, we were high school students learning our way through it and it was very much through the kit. And you can build great robots from the kit. 
in college, um, design and manufacturing lab, the, the core focus of the class was the manufacturing process. So we would actually teach students how to design from scratch the, the components they would need minus mm -hmm. motors. But uh, for example, motor hub, wheel hubs, um, mounts for the motors, brackets, um, how to design the grippers. And in the class, we would teach them how to machine uh, or form or weld those objects as they wanted to. So a little bit more advanced. Nice. So it's a lot more hands-on physical things too. So it's not just coding that you guys were working on. If you're doing welding and you're doing all those other bits, you're doing all the mechanical type stuff on that side. Yes. That's something a lot of people don't realize about robotics is the diversity of fields that you can that you can have in the in robotics. So there's definitely the mechanical aspect uh, as far as building, designing, or working on uh, components to assist the robot in its job. There's the electrical aspect, which is the the wiring of the robot, connecting it to the peripherals, and and getting circuit boards made for your mm -hmm. for your cell. And there's also the programming aspect, uh, which is where I where I've decided to specialize in, which is uh, the logic side of it the controls side and, and it's very much a, a puzzle. And how about, so when you're working on those, like you said, for that puzzle idea, when you're trying to do the programming, do you get to, can you come up with um, your programs without knowing the equipment? How, or I guess, how much is that intermarried? I'm guessing quite a bit, but how much of it can you do as a coding block, for example, where it doesn't matter whether it's going to pick up small pieces or large pieces or a pallet, like you were saying earlier? Well, typically before we start programming, we like to have a general idea of what we will be doing. So, so some of the applications I listed off earlier, pick and place, machine tending, depalletizing, those are all very similar and and when when someone says I'm doing a pick and place application, you have a very good idea of what their program will look like. Now, where the specifics come into play is what's the size of the parts? How many parts will there be? What what is the array size that I'm going to to yeah. place the parts in? So, as far as as far as that, I I can gauge the complexity of my program based on what application it will be. Okay, nice. And now, as I was teasing earlier, I mean, even, I mean, something as simple as a Roomba, you know, there with all its little built-in AI and stuff like that, how's that affecting you in the field with that kind of stuff of these new, these newer uh, protocols, I guess, would be the way to is that is that the correct what would be but the what is the right term if i'm saying i'm going to add ai to your robot so that it can just automatically pick with the sensors what things to take out um that's a what good is, question that, what would that be called that's a good question and that artificial intelligence is not something that i have explored much in my field and there's a good reason for it it's still very experimental and for, for factories to, to implement something, they want to know that it will work the exact same every time. Yeah. There is an, an application where artificial intelligence is used 
and it's in machine vision. And we, we do use that in robotics. Uh, we use it for training. So uh, to give you an example, if, if I take this pen and I mm -hmm. want to, to pick this pen from a, from a bin of parts, then I can use artificial intelligence, which usually comes built into the robot software to identify the pen by taking pictures of it in different orientations, mm -hmm. tilts and uh, distance from the lens. Yeah. That's where artificial intelligence comes in with our programs. And would you be able to do that? Does the AI then just know this is a pen regardless whether it's black, blue, orange, whatever? Um, it will know this is a part. And okay. you can obviously train it to the different colors. But one thing to understand about a com about robot programs is they they don't know that what a pen is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, they're just they're just taking it as an individual part. Yeah, but so now when you're doing your programming, you can actually program it nowadays to be able to say, okay, I want the blue pens here, the the orange pens here, pick them up and sort them out afterwards. That's all part of the basic programming that you're doing now. Yes. So for for sorting applications, it's very easy to sort by shape, um, size. Sometimes you can use artificial intelligence to recognize features if there's a hole in the part, or or you can look at barcodes. Um, it's very common to look at colors. An interesting um, interesting fact is actually most machine vision cameras are black and white. Uh, mm. excuse, me, excuse me, not black and white. I meant to say grayscale. And they don't actually see colors, but they still pick colors. And what's very common in robot machine vision is using filters and colored lighting. So okay. when we talk about machine vision, it is, if you have any sort of vision process, lighting is the biggest thing uh, to make sure you're gonna pick what you want to be picking. So say I wanna pick a red part, mm -hmm. then I might put a red filter on my camera. And the effect that will have is it will, it will brighten the red in the image and, and cut down all the other colors. So okay, that's some of cool. the tricks we use to pick colors. Cool, nice, that's a, that's a, see, some future programmers going to hear that and say, oh, wait, that's how I needed to solve that. Or that's how they solved it back then. Hopefully they're looking at us. That takes me <laughs> back to a little thing about that. So when you are, when you started working in here and you started coming up with the idea of, as you said, you were, you really liked robotics. You liked doing the mechanical stuff. And then you it became, it's becoming a career. And, and this is where you really are. Where do you think the, that line kind of fell for you? And how did you have, was it just your dad helping you out? Or what was it that made you like kind of click that? Wait a minute, I like doing this and I can actually make it, get a job at this. Um, for me, I've always wanted to have my own business. I've always had a very entrepreneurial drive and it was really when I was working my first job out of college. I, I, I took the job with the primary purpose of designing parts and, and running CNC machines. I, I thought that's what I wanted to do out of school. And the robot programming was just one of those things that I knew I could figure it out and I could do it and I could, and I could get it to work. However, <laughs> Once I, once I started doing that, and I was also making parts for this company, I realized, hey, I like doing new things. Yeah. 
that's that was it for me when I realized we already know how to make these parts and we just need to make them more efficient. And then I was doing the robot programming and, and it was more of, we don't know how to do this. We need to figure it out. And if you can do it, you'll be, you'll be the guy, you'll be the man. So I really liked being on the cutting edge of, mm -hmm. I really liked being on the cutting edge and, and making something that hasn't existed before rather than optimizing an existing process. And now, so uh, going along those lines, because you said you were in college, you were doing a, a different thing and coming to here. How much of the people that you're working with right now in robotics, and it maybe are you the only one who's doing it right now in your area? I mean, as you're starting your own company, obviously, you're the guy, like you said. But when you were starting to learn this out, were you the only one there learning it? or? I was the only one at my company. It was It's a very small company uh, in Naples, Florida, of only nine employees. When I was working there, I was the only one uh, besides my employer that knew how to to program parts and run CNC machines and program oh, robots. Okay. So it was, it's a very small company and I really appreciate that because I didn't get paid as much as if I worked at a large company, mm -hmm. but I feel that I learned a lot more. And that would be some advice I'd have to young professionals coming out of college is if you can afford it, take the pay cut and work at a small company because you will grow so much faster than, than you will at a large corporate uh, company. In yeah. my opinion. I, I did a little bit of CNC programming what, 30 years ago, whatever it was way too long ago in my world. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of the thing. If as long as you're willing to mess around, and it's it's not rocket science, you're not going to blow up something on the launch pad, and you, you know you're not cutting into someone, so you can make a mistake, and you just hope it's not on that really nice piece of uh, material that's being cut. But you know, we make exactly that exactly right. Exactly. Um, tell me, what is your? We'll get back into something else in a minute, but I want to know what's your ideal piece of gear. What? You can have anything you want. You can have Rosie. You can have whatever you want as a as a robot slash programmer type person. What would be your ideal that you think that you want to shoot for the moon with? So I've thought a lot about this, and my ideal robotics project would be a robot sushi cafe. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tell I me really, about this. I really like sushi. I, I enjoy it a lot. Mm -hmm. And I like coffee and my ideal project in which one day I hope I'll be able to realize is to have a, a cafe where robots are basically the chefs where they're mm -hmm. basically the baristas and, and of course you'll have someone working the register and someone to someone to interact with the customers. But I would like I would like a, a restaurant like that where people can come and become familiar with robotics mm -hmm. and they, they can come to see robots as, as helpers for people. I think that one of the mistakes a lot of restaurants are making as they're trying to, as they're trying to automate right now is they put their automation behind closed doors. Okay. They've got the robot to flip burgers and the robot to fry the French fries. And it's all behind closed doors. And I think they're missing a big opportunity if they were to put those robots on display 
then people interested in robotics could be inspired by the field and it could be an attraction. And I think it would be a great way to get young people excited about robotics, to, to have somewhere they can go with their family mm -hmm. and get a good quality meal and also to, to see something that excites yeah. them. That's an interesting idea. I know there's a handful of restaurants around down here in South Florida that have the robotic servers. Um, as those are becoming, you know, at, at some restaurants where, you know, that they, they just, the kitchen staff loads the server and it rolls it out to the individual tables, et cetera, and stuff like that. But yeah, that's an interesting, to go with a full automated uh, kitchen type idea. That'd be really interesting. I've seen some of those much more big, complicated ones. And you're right, they're always big and complicated and behind the scenes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Huh. Never thought about doing sushi though. That's that's going to take some skill. That's manipulation there for you to be able to learn how to do that. Tell us about that. What kind of equipment is it? Because you do mostly the software side of things now, right? Correct. So in the hardware side of things, where do you think that's going, or or what's available right now that we may not even know that we have available? Like how dexterous are those things to be able to pick up the parts or be able to interact and do stuff like that? So the majority of robot applications are highly specialized. So when we talk about cells, that is a complete ecosystem for the robot to work within. And mm -hmm. something uh, to understand is that a robot is just a tool in a cell, in an automation cell. So typically what the robots are, are doing is not highly dexterous. It's usually just grab pick up and then put it somewhere. So okay. most of the complexity in a cell comes from the periphery around the robot, which, which usually is also programmed with the robot. So, so I'll give you an example. Say I've, I've got a conveyor belt that carries parts to the, to the robot, and then the robot picks the parts off the conveyor and puts them in their assorted bins. Mm -hmm. After those bins, they move on to some other sort of processing. So as far as robot tooling itself, it's it's actually hasn't changed in quite a while. Just open closed grippers, uh, welding for for automotive industry, painting mm -hmm. also very also very common in the automotive industry. Vacuum yeah, my uncle grippers. worked on those back on in Detroit on the assembly lines. He was one of the first people out there work working to fix those. He back in the seventies and eighties, the big huge monster robots who were doing the just doing the painting or just doing that spot welding thing, like you said. Yeah, super specialized, only able to do that one thing. Yeah. So now tell me about that going forward on yours. You said that these are still fairly straightforward. Is it that it's too complicated for the mechanical part of it to, you know, try and duplicate the digits of a finger to be able to manipulate more? Or is it that it's just not needed? And it's just, that's a science fiction thing, but we don't really need that. Well, for industrial applications, it, it tends to not be necessary. So if I, for example, I'm picking a, the same part out of the same machine 1 million times in a row, mm -hmm. then it's typical to just design a gripper that will contour perfectly to that part. Okay. And then, and just have multiple different robots doing each of the individual pieces instead of one robot that can manipulate each of the different ones. Correct. So my only caveat to that is is in, in regard to a rising trend of robots called cobots. So to explain cobots, I'll first yeah, explain. Yeah, yeah, I wanna hear this one. Yeah, I wanna hear what a cobot is now. Yeah, so so 
When we think of typical industrial robots, they are not rated to work alongside people. They are usually fast moving, they're very heavy, and they can be they can be dangerous if you don't have the proper protection around them. So typical industrial robots will have a protective fence to keep people out of their operating area while they're okay. performing their tasks. A rising trend is with cobots right now, and they are meant to work alongside people in their everyday uh, jobs without without external protections. What makes them able to do that is they have built-in force sensors and they have no snag points on them. And if they were to bump into, say, your arm or mm -hmm. your shoulder, they would stop without harming you. And it's, it is a very quickly becoming popular because as restaurants and other workplaces are trying to integrate robots into their facility, they may not have the space to put up a eight by eight yeah. foot fence, or they may only have a workstation next to a machine that they need to fit a cobot on. Mm -hmm. So that's becoming very popular. And I think cobots... I need one of those through my Roomba so she doesn't keep chewing up my uh, phone cords, <laughs> my charging cables. Yeah. Hmm. So these cobots, so you're, those are things that are being able to be worked on. You're still talking industrial applications though, right? You're not talking like having them out with the public and doing those sorts of things. It's still industrial, um, but the advantage to cobots, another advantage is that they're very easy to program. So it's becoming more accessible to the public. If, if any of your audience has ever programmed uh, Lego Mindstorms. We have those at the library too. We've been doing a lot. Of, we did a lot of stuff with those pre-pandemic with programming and stuff. As people are starting to come back in, we'll start more of those programs back up. That's a good idea. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, the the cobot programming, the lot, companies have put a lot of work into making the cobot programming almost identical to that block uh, format of the Lego Mindstorms program. Oh, okay. So it's actually and becoming very kind of like scratch programming. Have you used scratch programming for that kind of stuff, or is that even too simpler? I know I've done some scratch programming with some of the kids around the library. I have used it, but not for for robot programming. Okay. Interesting, interesting. Um, so tell us about what you actually got started with. So you were saying you were on the job, you had CNC machines. What was the impetus? Was it just that we've only got six people here, somebody's got to learn how to do this? Or how did you make that jump into getting into your first chance of really using the robots and programming them? So at the company I was at, I was working at, they had small parts that needed to be sorted. Unfortunately, I can't give you no, no, very no, no, specific no. Yep. information, but yeah. we had millions of small parts that needed to be sorted. I would say there was about 40 different types all mixed together and more coming in every day. My employer had purchased the robot to, to sort with the idea of sorting these parts, went and took the class. And as happens with most business owners, it, Business picks up, time is short, and there's not much time to do it. So the the job given to me was, hey, we've got this robot. It was a major investment for our company. We ha have no tooling to go with it. We have no setup. It's up to you to make it sort these parts. And awesome, they, awesome. They gave me a small budget and a lot of time, and they were patient with me, and by by giving me that room to explore, I was mm -hmm. really able to deliver a, 
a high quality and, and, and fully functional product to them. Nice. So along that line about experimenting, and we always talk here on the show about what are our biggest successes and what are our biggest failures. Tell me, what's the big failure? Obviously, you're still here, so the robot didn't kill you. That's a good sign. Tell us about what, what, what's something that can really go wrong, though, in what you're doing and how you're doing it. Mm -hmm. So obviously, there's a lot of complex systems uh, with robotics. And for me, the biggest challenge was with the vacuum system. I've never worked with, with vacuum systems before. Mm -hmm. And on this particular robot, we had a suction cup on the end to pick up small parts. The, the robot would pick up the part. First of all, it would take a picture of the part, determine which part it is, pick it up, and then place it in the correct bin. And the biggest issue, which we struggled with for months and months, was we would run the robot, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the day, it would start throwing parts off of the, off of the vacuum suction cup. And what we ended up finding is that we need to really clean these parts well, because after, for the first hundred parts, it works great. For the first mm -hmm. thousand parts, it works great. When we get to 10,000 parts, the suction cup starts getting dirty. And so there was quite a bit of research that we did trying different suction cups, different manufacturers, getting custom cups made, and basically trying to fine tune our vacuum system to our specific application. Gotcha. That's an, that's an interesting old twist there. Yeah. So, so that counts as both a struggle and a success there for you, huh? That's not bad. Eventually. Yes. We were able to, to find a, a good manufacturer and a, we were able to do longevity testing that resulted in acceptable results and, and good. get on a maintenance schedule to ensure that our parts would be reliably sorted. Nice, 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 nice. So now what do you think about um, how does, in a lot of these fields, a lot of these creative fields, sometimes people look at it as it's either not accessible or, oh, that's a cool thing to do as a hobby. Where do you think robotics fits into that for the average person? What do you, what do you think the average person out there is thinking? Do you, is it that it's still too complicated to understand or, or what? Are you asking specifically about industrial what robotics? Or any other robotics? What do you think? What do you think of as just as a general idea? What the public thinks about what you're doing? So, I will start from the perspective of. I, I will start from the perspective of a high school student, and then I'll and then I'll yeah. give another perspective after that. But if I were a high school student today, looking to get into robotics, I would tell you it's a hundred percent, except it's a hundred percent accessible. Look into Vex Robotics, look into First Tech Challenge, look into some of the local competitions and see what teams are available near you. Go visit them, see if it's something you like to do. The, the nice thing about competition, and I love competition because it keeps you motivated. And so if I was a high schooler looking for a new hobby, I would say start looking for some of these competition based ones because it will excite you. Now, if I was a, a young professional looking to get into robotics, I'd take a bit of a different tack. I would say, look at, look at who's, look at who's making robotics in your area. Look at who's your automation specialists. 
look at who's making robot cells, call them up, see if they'll give you a tour, see if they'll let you visit. A lot of times these companies are extremely excited to have new people come in. And if it looks like something that you're interested in is possibly a career, then find out where you, you figure out where you would best fit and apply. That would be my recommendation. Nice. And, and I think, yeah, you hit on a, a little point there that just kind of like glossed over a little bit. This is not robotics nowadays is not just one or two big locations around the country where people are learning and doing this stuff. This is every day just in the warehouse around the corner. They've got robots there that are doing stuff and they need people to work on it. Yes. Um, another thing to, to keep in mind is that robotics is more than just what people think about the six axis arm. It also encompasses automation um, automation systems that may not have six axis arms, but they may just be old school. Um, a, a good thing to, to keep in mind if you're trying to find robotics programs near you is also to check with, check with machine shops. The machine shops are a great resource because they are like a hub for industry in your area. They know material suppliers, they know automation suppliers, they know, they know the machine suppliers. So if you are looking to get into the mechanical field, automation field, the first place I would go is go to a machine shop and see what, what information they'll give you if you're, if you're interested in that at all. Cool, interesting, nice. I, I, like the, yeah, I like the idea of you know, building the community and building where you are rather than going away to some other place. Tell me, what, what kind of thing do you wish you would have had when you were getting started? Like, like you said, you, you started in one path and you kind of veered over to the other one. What would, what would have been different for you if you would have started earlier? Or what kind of, a, what piece didn't you get that you wanted, that you later found out that, oh, if I would have known that earlier? Well, I would say when I was in college, I wish I had more of a mindset towards building my own company. I... When I was in high school, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. A lot of, a lot of students may have read that book. It's a, it's a very interesting book about um, microeconomics and, and personal money management. But when I was in high school, I read that. It got me a little bit interested in business. And I always knew I wanted to do some sort of engineering, you know, mechanical primarily. I went to college, but I had a mindset that I was going to get a job, work, work my butt off, climb the corporate ladder and, and pursue my career like that. And then that works for a lot of people. Um, but when I, when I graduated college, I realized that it's, it works, but I personally, I did not find as fulfilling as, yeah. as, as entrepreneurship and as business. So I, I do wish I had spent more time building up my entrepreneurship skills in college because one of the biggest struggles for me, surprisingly, is not the robot programming and it's not the mechanical or technical side, it's the networking side of it, which a lot of people don't talk about, but, but building connections with people, following up on phone calls, setting up meetings, that is, has been the biggest struggle yeah. for me. Yeah, and that's, that's creation station business here for Bird County Libraries, that's what we do. We teach all the entrepreneurs and co-working and stuff like that. It is, that's one of the reasons why 
know, the library is there for you to come out and do all these different types of events also and learn and pick up these skills, you know, come in and try out some of these things, like we said earlier, with Vex Robotics. Tell me about, I, I got one more question here that I really want to try and tease out of you is what do you, what's your vision of getting, to, you said we're going to make this fully automated robotic sushi thing. What's your vision about how to get there? Because I think everybody needs a goal. Everybody needs this big grand dream of like, yeah, if I ever had the chance, I do. Tell me about how you think it's going to, not only just you in particular, but robotics in general. How are we getting to that, getting closer to that science fiction-y type of world like that, where we've got all these robots running around? How do we get there? Um, great question. So, so we've talked a little bit about how cobots are are becoming more accessible to the public. And I think that's going to be the push to, for me to get to my robot cafe. I, my business has a great relationship with the local FANUC representative and with, with FANUC as a company. And my, my play eventually, hopefully, is going to be to pose this idea to, to FANUC as a great opportunity for people to see their robots and to experience how their robots can benefit applications that you wouldn't typically think of robots in, such as as uh, chefs on display. Mm -hmm. And I think as as these companies try to push robots closer towards the, uh, I shouldn't say closer towards the end consumer, not not as much towards big companies, but closer towards smaller people that or smaller uh, companies, excuse me, that just want to add a simple robot. Yeah. They are going to, there's going to be a bigger demand for them to market it towards a, a non-industrial. Non yeah. And, and that's where I think my question is in the industrial setting, like you said, you, you can make a robot that does this, you know, each of the three sections of the line, a different robot handles each one of those pieces, each one of those sections of the line, and it's really done well. But in a small business, you're talking about lim not only limited space, but limited funds, et cetera. And you need more of a, a robot that can do more than just the one or two um, actions. Where are we on that, do you think, for programming and stuff like that for robot for robotics in a business or even a home setting like that? Well, we're pretty close. I'd say the the biggest breakthrough in recent times has been, uh, first of all, the e ease of programming, and second of all, the increase in popularity of quick change tooling. So typically, yeah, tell us what a quick change tooling is. Yep, yeah, sure. So typically, when robots, when you when you order a robot, if I were to order a robot today, it would not come with any gripper. It wouldn't come with any air air. Uh, paintbrush or vacuum or anything okay it would they just come with a standard mounting plate on the end of the arm and several companies have uh, robot iq being one of them uh, that we've worked with extensively have developed with some quick change tooling which are basically grippers of various sizes uh suction suction cups and, and standard tooling that will perform general tasks I would say you can find a, a tool that would perform 99% of the tasks you want to do. And okay. you don't need a special machine shop to make it. You don't need 
a you don't need special programming knowledge they integrate perfect they integrate uh, seamlessly with the current programming language and it makes it very accessible for people that want to just get a robot and have it do a simple task because they can order the robot they can order the tool it clicks into place as as intuitively as as you could imagine and right away you're you're picking up parts you're placing them so i think that's been the biggest jump that's been made in recent years where are we looking at price point on these nowadays so for i would say average size uh, robots for collaborative robots you're looking anywhere from at, at the time of filming <laughs> oh, yeah. anywhere from 17 to $25,000 would be a typical okay. range and what you have to consider i know it is a lot for small companies it is a 24/7 employee yeah. this is this is an employee for you that will perform a task from from the crack of dawn till the crack of dawn the next day and they they will they will do this 8 years without needing any maintenance and when you're asleep they're still going so even though it is a larger initial investment this is typically it typically will pay for itself if you can find a good application for it and these are all um the way you just said that it just made me click in my mind these are all fully electric um you know plugged into your just your general electric system for your for the the electrical system for your business or in your your building it's this is not something where these robots are mobile right for the most uh, part correct so that's a nice thing about the the collaborative robots cobots is that they've moved to a 110 volt system and moved away from the 240 volt system that was a big barrier for a lot of uh, smaller companies. And now those are able to, are the cobots to the point yet where they're moving? Like a, like the smaller little Roombas and stuff like that. And I know Amazon uses a tremendous amount of those larger, more industrial Roomba type machines to move uh, stuff around inside of their distribution centers. With those cobots that you're talking about, I mean, they still look like an industrial robot. They just have better sensors and less protections or less need of protective thing. Uh, they're more streamlined. There's no snag points on them. Typically, if you have a robot like that, it won't move. It, it will move, but it won't move its physical location. Mm -hmm. What I see a lot and what actually a company that I'm working with now, uh, what we are working on, is one of those robots on a cart so okay. they have designed a robot system with a cobot for an injection molding factory that has many different injection molding machines they've got a cobot on a cart and what they will do is they will wheel that cart to the machine that they want to automate on that day and the cart has a as a mounting point or it will it will mount to the machine and with a solid mount and that way they only need to buy one robot for for multiple machines yeah that's a nice idea now how there's your challenge get that robot to be able to move from machine to machine on its own without having <laughs> to be wheeled on the cart it's doable it all it all comes down to how much you're you're willing to put into the project yeah yeah definitely i know those feelings um tell us 
where do you think this is going? How fast are we getting to our science fiction future here? You know, just like that idea there of how much does it just cost you to just figure out how to pull that off? Where are we looking? Are we looking five years, 10 years? Or what do you, th just your best guesstimate, where, where do you think we're uh, to be able to pull off something? Money's not an object. We're going to throw all of it that we can at it. How fast could you actually build your sushi kitchen? Are the robots uh, actually existing now? I think that the robots exist now. The the biggest challenge is going to be, I, I think, when it comes to sushi, at least, cutting fish. Um, mm -hmm. Because fish comes in all different shapes, sizes, and as any any chef will tell you, there's very specific ways to cut it. So yeah. I think that the big advancements are going to have to be made in machine vision. Okay. So, phys so physically, we have the ability to, to grab and to cut and to, to process machine vision and artificial intelligence, which we talked about a little bit before, are going to be the big advancements of how do you recognize this blob-like object? I mean, you've seen a fillet of fish, obviously. Yeah. How do you recognize this, that every fillet might come in a little bit different? Every fillet might have have different con fat content and have different contours, and it's a very complex object to look at. So, for I'd say within about within about five years, we would probably be we'd probably be at the point where you could have a machine vision camera look at a fillet of fish on on a countertop and say, okay. "This is where I need to cut," and and track it as it rotates it and track it as it as it is cutting it and have a good understanding of that. That's a nice idea. And, and you kind of implied it earlier, you're not really kicking people out of jobs. You're just getting jobs that aren't being filled or creating something that you couldn't have possibly afford to do in the first place anyway. It's uh, correct. So a lot of people are concerned, and this is always the concern with automation is that with automation, people are going to lose their jobs. It's not necessarily true um, because oftentimes automation will create higher quality jobs. So instead of having an employee, uh, I'll go back to my sorting example, mm -hmm. millions of small parts, tens of thousands coming in every day. And, and they would, the company I was at would previously have an employee pick one part up by hand. Okay, which part is this? It's that one, throw it in the bin, another part up by hand throw it in the bin and they would have to shift out that employee every half hour to 45 minutes because if, if you start doing that job long enough, every part starts to look the same. So that's not a very, that's not a very enjoyable job to do. So when we were able to implement that automation solution, that employee was able to go from some, from picking up parts and sorting them to doing more skilled work and more enjoyable work of of running a CNC machine mm -hmm. or of working the like picking up uh, picking boxes and putting labels on them and and figuring out what size par uh, parts or what size products go in which boxes more skilled labor than sitting at a desk for eight hours a day and oh, sorting hours parts. yeah yeah and I think that's that's the key thing is let's automate the the repetitive things that don't require real human intelligence that can be just bing 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 and let us let the people do the thinking let the people actually work and do this kind of stuff
exactly. Smart employers will will use their those resources because that that's your yeah. that's your biggest benefit to having employees is that they over robots is they can think they can make decisions that they can make decisions on things that don't often come up. Yeah, um, and it's it's going to be a really good thing I think for everyone who's thinking about this as their possible career working in this kind of field. Think about those ideas of your big plan, your big idea. Where where do you get? It's not a sushi restaurant. Giovanni's already got that one covered for us. He'll 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 let us all know when that happens. <laughs> but what are we going to do with? All of this, like I teasingly said, you know, I don't, when I get home, I don't have to vacuum because my little robot vacuum did it for me while I was at work. That's the key, I think, of where we're going with these things and why I really want people to, to get a feel for what's available in their own futures. I, I think you're right. I, I do believe time is going to be the commodity of the future. And the more we can give back time to people, the more they'll be able to spend that time with their family, pursuing, pursuing uh, quality moments. I, I think that really is part of the pursuit of robotics is that we were chasing, ch chasing uh, time, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, our hours has just flown on by. Thank you so much, Giovanni, for being here with us. Let me throw up our final slide here as our wrap up. Um, Again, create, today, Creation Station Monthly is all about robotics. CreationStation at Broward.org comes directly to us. If you have a popular topic that you'd like to see, or if you have a question or a comment for one of our guests, email it to me, and we'll get it on to them. Thank you guys very much for being here today, and we'll see you next month. Thank you so much.